You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome once again to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. We've got another great interview for you this week. Uh, before I get into that, just a few things. Uh, first of all, remember the survey that for the past two months or so I've been saying, please take the survey, please take the survey. Well, the survey's over. I've went through the findings and I've got a post up on the blog right now. You should check out revisionpath.com forward slash blog. Go through, look at the findings, leave your comments. I'd love to hear from you. Also, I'm looking to get questions from you. So if you have questions about the podcast, about sort of the behind the scenes work, all that kind of stuff, please send them my way. I plan on doing a special two year anniversary podcast at the beginning of March so I can answer your questions. I can also go a little bit more into the survey findings then as well. So let's talk about our sponsors. This week's episode is sponsored by Gretchen Atwood. Thanks so much for supporting Revision Path, Gretchen. I really appreciate it. Funding for Revision Path also comes from MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. Now, MailChimp just had an upgrade a few days ago, including a nice, clean redesign. So it's now easier than ever to get started using them for your email marketing needs. Get your free MailChimp account today at MailChimp.com. Now, when you're looking for the best place to register a domain name, you ask the folks who know a lot about domains, and that's Hover. You can purchase a domain using any of a number of different top-level domains. Of course, we know about .com, .net, .org, but with Hover, you can get top-level domains like .life, .nyc, .club, and .network. Um, And Hover has several more that are coming up in the next few weeks. Purchase a domain today and use the promo code RESOLUTION and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. Now, Creative Market just came out with a list of their top 100 products of 2014, and there's some really great stuff on there, and you can get a special 10% discount. Head over to creativemarket.com and check them out. Let me know what you think. Now, you may remember back in July of last year when I had a few presentations up for voting for South by Southwest 2015. One of those presentations, Where Are the Black Designers, was chosen for this year's event. But I need your help to really make it a reality. I've got a link in the show notes to my GoFundMe campaign. Uh, With your donations, I can make it out to Austin for South by Southwest, conduct a few interviews while I'm out there. I think it'll be really great. I'm at about 10% of my goal right now, so the sooner I hit that goal, the better, because, you know, plane tickets get more expensive closer to the event. Again, the GoFundMe link is going to be in the show notes. Please donate what you can. I'd really appreciate it. And one more thing, Revision Path is excited to partner with Lesbians Who Tech for the 2015 Lesbians Who Tech Summit in San Francisco. Save 25% off registration with the code LWTREVPATH. That'll be in the show notes as well. All right, now let's get on with this week's interview. When I asked Kishaw Rogers, founder and CEO of WebSmith Group, about advice for someone who wants to follow in her footsteps, here's what she had to say. I would say get involved in, in your community. Um, tons of areas have like these coding events and areas where developers that like to code, if you're interested in software development, where they meet and they write code. Uh, and if you don't have one in your area, create one. Uh, and so I would think that I would hope that people that are really interested in the field would just start doing it. This is Revision Path. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. 
I am Kishaw Rogers. I'm the president and CEO of WebSmith Group, a software development firm specializing in web and mobile enterprise data systems. How did you get started with WebSmith Group? Well, I started in, uh, in Washington, D.C. I started my business in 2004. At the time, I was running a clinical outcome solutions group, and my responsibility was creating software for the hospital system in the D.C., uh, metro D.C. area. And from that experience, I decided to branch out and form my own company in 2004, and I actually uh, was able to convince my employer to become my first client. So I started with a software as a service uh, model where my clients would pay a licensing fee to use the software that I developed at the time I was a solo entrepreneur. And since then, uh, the company has grown to we are currently at 10 employees and, con- employees and contractors. And you just celebrated your uh, 10-year anniversary recently also. Yes, this year is our 10-year anniversary, 2014. So we, we made it. <laughs> Oh, that's that's awesome. That's a great milestone. Yeah, yeah it really is a good a good place to be. Um, the thing that I, I was I'm probably the most proud of is the fact that the first client is still one of our clients. They've remained a client throughout the team. Oh, nice. So I think that's a good testament to the quality of the team that uh, I'm currently working with. Uh, we we have some really great people working here. So you say it's a mix of, of employees and contractors, so they're not all located? Yeah, they're in the not same all area. located in Richmond. Uh, we rotate contractors. It depends on the project. So we have a core group of developers and administrative and project management team that works with uh, WebSmith Group. And then we also bring in subcontractors as needed on projects, depending on the, the scale and the scope of the work that's being done. So currently we're operating at 10 employees and contractors. What are some of the most important lessons that you've learned since you have started your business? I mean, I think 10 years is probably a ton of stuff. Yeah, it's a ton. A a lot of, I've learned so much. I would say two big lessons is the importance of pricing and how you really need to be in tune with the going industry rates for the service that you're offering and also how critically important it is not to devalue your pricing or undervalue your services is very important for growth and scalability is one of the things that I learned really early on is that if you price your services too low, not only will it be um, devalued by the people you serve, but also you can't grow. Also, how important it is to have the best team to support you in in executing your vision for your business is is so important in in recruiting a great team. So we spend quite a bit of our energy on identifying great team members here. I've realized the importance of it uh, pretty early on in the business. Let's talk about that because I know that we have a lot of solo entrepreneurs that are, are listening. How did you really start building and growing your team? Was it kind of an organic method or or how did that work? It became organic. It started out uh, really, to be honest, it, it when my when my business reached a point that I couldn't do it all anymore. <laughs> so I kind of hit a wall where you know I just couldn't get I couldn't keep all of the balls in the air. I couldn't get everything done. So I had to. And you know, a lot of solo entrepreneurs can identify with you know having to actually execute the work as well as do sales and marketing and accounting and the legal stuff. And you know there's a lot customer service and the list goes on. And so as we begin to acquire clients. Clients, particularly our enterprise clients, the clients, you know, the larger clients, you know, you have to have a good team to support you because one person just can't do it all. 
So it started by basically looking around me and my support group to see, you know, who I liked working with. Originally, my first team member was a person that I worked with before. She was an individual that um, we were colleagues at, at a previous job that I had. So I knew her work style and she knew mine. So I recruited her. And so that part happened really organically. I would say around the seventh year mark is where I, I decided it was really important to get a human resource professional uh, to help mm-hmm. me. So one of my recent uh, best hires is actually um, Beth Gross works for my company and her job is recruitment and retention. And she does an excellent job of identifying talent. I think when like solopreneurs think about building a team, it can seem a little daunting because I think when you're the one that's doing everything and you see the money that's coming in and out, you start figuring, well, if I bring on someone else, yeah, isn't that going to like take away from my money or, or you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, to a degree, it depends on your pricing. If If your pricing is sort of very... You know, if the pricing is only enough to support you, then yes, it does come directly out of your pocket because you can't pay yourself what you used to pay yourself. And what you have to do is either raise your prices or you have to take on a lot more work. So it's really a balancing act. It depends on your target market as well. So if your target clients, you kind of get an instinct for how much people can and will pay for what you're offering. And so you really want to make sure you hit the sweet spot so that not only can you offer them a really great product, but that you have enough for yourself and enough to build your business. So when it comes down to pricing, was it kind of a, a trial and error thing initially, trying to figure out what that sweet spot is? Yes, it was very much so uh, with me. I started with, you know, my first client I mentioned was my former employer was the first client that I acquired. As, uh, they paid licensing fees to use one of our flagship products. And I basically priced it based on how much I was getting paid as an employee <laughs> by the mm-hmm. hour because it seemed you know, like the logical thing. I think I increased it a bit to cover my benefits. So when I started my business, I wasn't at all thinking about like growing it into anything pretty big. I was just trying to support myself at the time. So I priced it and then I took on, you know, another client found out about the product and they liked it. And when I reached about my fourth client, that's when I realized that the pricing model that I had was not scalable because at that point I needed to bring in more people to help for customer support and sales and some of the other things you have to do in the business and the business could not sustain it. So we had to adjust our pricing. What's a typical day like for you um, at WebSmith Group? Well, currently, most of my time is probably spent in the administrative and sales and marketing, um, to be honest. I, um, I'm responsible for finding work for my great team to uh, to work on. We specialize in web and mobile software development, so we're always looking for really great projects to work on. And if we don't have any good, great projects that we found, uh, we create our own. So we really do spend all of our time developing software, and most of my time is spent in finding great projects. So I spend a great deal of time out in the community, meeting with people and seeing what people are doing in their businesses, networking as well. Also, I think a real critical, important part of our business is the administrative team that I have. That I have, They're very, very disciplined. So we manage our projects very well. So I spend a lot of time managing projects, making sure that we're executing the work that we do receive very well. Uh, so I probably spend 50% of my time managing projects and people and the other half of my time in sales and marketing. What skills would you say that a, a current developer needs in the market today? 
I think because you're doing mostly like software development and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. What we're seeing a lot of is you know we see a lot of C sharp stuff and .NET projects, and there's a, a ton of web stuff, Android and iPhone development. I would say the skill that developers need to hone is the ability to take on and learn new programming languages. One of the things I've seen is people kind of lock into a certain development environment. You're a C sharp programmer, or you are you know you're a Java developer. But I think the probably the best thing you could do is develop the ability to acquire whatever programming language and development environment you need to get the job done. And that's one thing that I'm really proud of is the fact that we have projects ranging from Java, PHP. We have a lot of .NET stuff in-house. We have MySQL, SQL Server databases. Uh, The team that I recruit are the types of people that are always trying to learn new things. So I, I would say that would be the one thing that people should learn is to really be comfortable taking on new technologies because it's changing so rapidly. There's iPhone development. Um, Apple recently released Swift. And so if you were kind of locked into the Objective-C, then you had to learn Swift. And you're not the type of person mm-hmm. that could take on a new programming language very easily. It kind of, it kind of you know, prohibits your ability to offer that that service to other iPhone projects that would like to develop for the new iPhones that are coming out. So we look for people that can scale their skill set as well as our systems because things change so rapidly that you kind of need to be on your toes at all times. Well, now that you've gotten, you know, past the 10-year mark in business, what are those next steps of growth for WebSmith Group? We're focused, well, this year we're focused, I've mentioned that we focused a lot on recruitment. Uh, We are growing uh, quite a bit, and we focus, I would say, most of our energies on the mobile space. We're developing quite a few um, enterprise data reporting systems for mobile and web devices. Most of our, I would anticipate that probably within 12 months, we'll probably increase our team to about 15 developers uh, to accommodate that. Uh, So I see a growth in terms of the staff size that we have, also in terms of the types of projects. We start to work on quite a few, like uh, we have an Internet of Things project where we're developing an app that actually controls a piece of hardware. There's a lot of that in in the marketplace. We also see a lot of things with wearable tech. So we're exploring a lot of that here and trying to determine how we can apply some of these new devices to some of the stuff we're doing with our enterprise clients. Yeah, when I think of an Internet of Things, I think of, uh, what's that web service, if this, then that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, I was just reading about that. There's so many cool things coming out. The the company, I think it was Nest, they have a like a heating and cooling in their um, in your home. You can control with their web apps, and there there are a ton of things like that out there. And I think it's a really interesting marketplace. I also think that they'll probably we'll probably run into some issues there with security and privacy and the types of data that these systems store in terms of your habits and how warm or cool you like your home and things like that. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of innovation in that space, but I also see that there'll be some challenges and um, data security there as well. So you mentioned that you're often out and about in the community in, in Richmond. What is the, the tech scene like there? 
It's really exciting. It's really growing. It's a, Richmond is in the perfect location for a tech hub uh, because it's in central Virginia. We're about two hours from the Washington, less than two hours from the Washington, D.C. area, about an hour and a half from the beach. Uh, so we're right in the center of Virginia. So we're, you know, halfway up the East Coast. Uh, so I would say it's really exciting. We have a, quite a few startups that are happening here. And we've actually moved our office into the downtown Richmond area just two weeks ago because it's an area that's really, really, really growing. Um, also, the Virginia Commonwealth University is one of the universities here in Richmond, and they have a, a phenomenal school of engineering here. So we uh, were able to, to see some really great talent coming out of that school as well, and that really helps the tech economy. We see a lot of coding events here. Um, there's a whole STEM movement happening, and I believe yesterday they had a one hour of code uh, event happening here yesterday. I think uh, the governor uh, was involved in that. So it's a really exciting time to be in technology here in Richmond. So speaking about Virginia Commonwealth University, that's your alma mater, yes, it is. isn't it? Yes. Tell me about your time there. How was it? It was great. I actually, um, I graduated from VCU in 1995. So it was a really long time ago, over, over almost 20 years ago. And I actually chose the computer science industry. It was the oddest thing. I, I chose computers as a career because my mom was a key punch operator when I was growing up. So she was like a typist. Oh. And of uh-huh. course, by the time I'm in college, you know, no one was typing on typewriters. People were typing on computers. And so I actually wanted to be a typist. <laughs> and I was choosing my major. <laughs> and I decided, you know, I'm going to go into computers because of this. And I was really a great student when it came to the, um, the mathematical areas, math and sciences. So it seemed like a natural fit. And it just, you know, stuck with me. I really, really enjoyed being in the computer science industry. Um, And VCU is a really great school uh, as well. So my time there was was well spent. So after you left VCU, tell me what your kind of first big break was in terms of your career? It actually started before I graduated. I, I had a work-study okay. job that just happened to be with one of the departments at VCU. They have a, a department called the Survey Research Laboratory, and they specialized in data research projects, uh, mostly social research projects. And they would collect a lot of data on social research grants. And so they hired me as a work-study student when I was a sophomore. And i when I graduated, I was one of their senior programmer analysts by the time I graduated. So I had the opportunity as a work-study student to develop some databases from the, for them. And from that work-study experience, they hired me part-time. And I worked as a developer. And my senior year, I was actually, by my senior year, I was actually working full-time for them oh, wow. and going to school full-time. So when I graduated, I already had a job. So that's another thing that we do here. We have a student innovation program where we actually give students, uh, seniors and juniors, the ability to do their internships and work-study positions with us. And the goal is to expose them to real-world projects and give them some actual real-world experience. Because in my in my experience, it really helped a lot from a career standpoint. It gave me a leg up when I graduated. What advice would you give to someone that is that is kind of just starting out in this field. I know that in the in the tech field, there's always this big talk about diversity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, it's rare for me to hear of a black woman that has this really successful 10-year software development company. So what advice would you give for someone out there that maybe wants to kind of follow in your footsteps? 
I would say get involved in, in your community. Tons of areas have like these coding events and areas where developers that like to code, if, you, if you're interested in software development, where they meet and they write code. And if you don't have one in your area, create one. And so I would think that I would hope that people that are really interested in the field would just start doing it. I mean, there's some online resources. Uh, one of my girlfriends, she started a business and she wanted to create a mobile app and she couldn't find, you know, the right person to create it. So she found an online coding class <laughs> that taught her how to do it. So, you know, even uh -huh. if you're not interested in it professionally, you can be exposed to it. And I think that um, one of the things that I hope in being out in the community is that it would expose other more diverse groups of people to the industry. Uh, as I mentioned before, I chose my major was based on my mom's career. She just mm -hmm. happened to be a typist, so I just chose the closest thing to that at the time. And I feel that, you know, diversity and part is, you know, part of it is related to how students see their parents and the people in their communities and what they're doing for a living. And also to the degree that we can have more senior executives and people like me running businesses that would give people an opportunity to work in the business, I think that we could increase diversity um, in those two areas. Is there like a particular trend that you see a lot in the tech community that you think needs to just go away, like any outdated practices or anything like that? Let's see. Um, outdated. Well, one thing I think, um, I don't know if it's an outdated practice, but the thing I, I would say that bothers me the most are, you know, when people are creating a business and there's no um, consideration for customer support, I feel that for some reason that's not considered a technical thing to do to support customers. <laughs> like customer support always seems to be like the last thing people are thinking about. And mm -hmm. I would like to see the technology uh, industry take more closer attention to how we can use technology to provide better support. So, you know, we are automating a lot of things and we're creating a lot of innovative things, but you, you know, you rarely see a company really focus on customer support from the onset of creating the thing. It's sort of like the afterthought. You create the thing and then you figure out how to support the people that use it. So I, that's one of the things that I'm interested in and in being more involved in is trying to determine how can we improve customer support. Because I've seen a lot of innovative products kind of come and go, and some of them are not here because the, the customer support is terrible. Mm -hmm. using your product because of that. So I think that that's a, definitely something that the technical industry needs to be a little more focused on than we have been. So you spoke earlier about your mom and her being, you know, kind of a, a key punch operator, and that's what inspired you to sort of get into typing and computers. Did you have any other mentors that helped you along the way? Oh, I've had plenty. Yeah, plenty of people that I looked up to. Um, you know, my mom was one that sort of inspired me to pick my uh, career. My dad also is a, he was an engineer, but he was a machine engineer. So he worked on uh, machines. So both of them, you know, kind of inspired me to go into the, the mathematical science areas. And when I was at BCU, the computer science department was actually within the mathematical sciences department. So it also in school, you know, there Everyone has like a favorite professor. I had a good advisor in school. And then my first job, uh, you know, my first boss was a great mentor uh, and encouraged me to grow in that area. And the next job that I had after that was actually a person that I met 
through my work uh, with my original employer, and she hired me. So it's kind of been, you know, I've kind of followed this path where, you know, I've met people that have inspired me and that have grown me to sort of be who I am. So, yeah, it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Of, even today, you know, my husband, you know, he's one of my mentors, and I have a great mm-hmm. business advisor that um, I've been working with for about five or six years. So let's go back a little bit to when you first started WebSmith Group. You sort of decided you wanted to start your own business. You used your form, or your former employer was your first client. When you first started the business, did you kind of have all your ducks in a row to say, okay, I'm going to leave on this date, then I'm going to start, then I'm going to do this? Or what was sort of the impetus to beginning WebSmith Group? I wouldn't say ducks in a row. I did plan it. I, I had a plan. I definitely had a plan. Okay. I'm more of a strategic person, so I, I definitely had documented what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing because I, I never really grew up around people that had their own businesses, <laughs> and I didn't go mm-hmm. to school. I didn't take business classes in school. I was in mostly computer classes. So I, to the best of my ability, I created a business plan. It all happened very quickly. I created it like maybe two months before I presented it to my boss at the time, but she's, I would consider her one of my uh, prior mentors. And I just picked the best time for me to approach the subject with her. And, you know, I had a conversation with her about how I wanted to sort of branch out and to get her feedback. And she was like, absolutely, I support you in that. So I then created a proposal from that to present to my employer to see if they would be my first client. <laughs> so I did mm-hmm. put some thought into it and they agreed. And then from that, I create, I determined my um, termination date, the date that I would leave. And basically, I left on a Friday as an employee and returned on a Monday as a vendor. Uh, it's pretty much how it worked. Now, I had a home office at the time, so they were my first client. I had a home office, but it didn't really feel like a business, to be honest, until I acquired the second client because it kind of felt like, you know, my job, except I was doing it at home. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking for other clients to use uh, this specific product, uh, and I found one, and then it just kind of grew from there. That's really awesome. So you did that as an employee. You didn't leave first and then put everything together. You said, I'm going to do this, and then I'll leave my job. We're just going to keep it going. So there was really no kind of a break, it sounds no, like. No, I didn't have a break. Uh, I remember my last day was actually June 30th, which is my birthday. That was okay. my last day with them, and the first day of the business started on July one. So I had already registered my business before I presented the proposal to my employer. I had already registered as an LLC and did that paperwork. So I knew I was going to do it. The timing is what I was working on. And for me, I really I saw an opportunity for them to be my mm-hmm. first client because what I was doing for them was very similar to what I was going to be doing in the business. And so I just took advantage of that opportunity. It was the best time. So I waited a bit. I would say I waited a few months before I presented my proposal and executed the transition, but it was a very smooth transition for me. Okay. Who has offered you some of the most useful career advice, and what was that advice? I would say Jonathan Jordan is a person I consider to be um one of my mentors, he's my business advisor, and he's constantly offering me great advice. But in terms of the business development, you know, pricing is something that he has really helped me 
with in, in determining my pricing model. Uh, it's something that mm-hmm. didn't come very naturally to me because I'm a geek. I'm all about the product and the final product <laughs> and the technology. Mm-hmm. And so having people that are very business focused has really helped me. Um, so I remember him, you know, very early on helping me determine the importance of revenue, but more importantly, profit margin. And some of the things, you know, we focus on, you know, companies that have made, you know, $100 million and it sounds successful, but if the profit margin is negative, then it's not successful. <laughs> so that's something that he is very firm on. You know, if your revenue has doubled, he's like, yeah, great. What's the profit margin? You know, he wants to know exactly how much money you made, how much did you net mm-hmm. from that. So he has really helped me a lot in, in, in evaluating the health of my business in a real way. He's very um, tough about that. How would you recommend, let's say for, for people that are listening that are solo entrepreneurs, how would you recommend they go about doing this? Should they try to find a a business mentor, are there any sort of resources to help them? Because I think that pricing is is always something that's a little tricky. It's all, it's like, I don't want to say a dark art, but it feels like the thing that people don't really want to discuss yeah, is money and, and what you should charge and how much you should charge and how that varies per experience and location and things like that. Yeah, it's it's but you know, even if you're a solo entrepreneur and you you know, you're not interested in growing, you know, a business with more more people in it, it's still really important to understand the marketplace that you're in and where your pricing falls in that space. One of the things I've learned, you know, I've devalued, you know, and, and underpriced things before in the business. And what I learned very early on is that there was a correlation between my most difficult projects and low prices, <laughs> a direct correlation. And when you, mm-hmm. when you devalue your service, the people that you're serving will also devalue your service. So it's very important to get pricing right. And if you love what you do, people will pay for it. And sometimes adjusting your pricing means that you have to adjust who you're serving as well. But it gives you a more realistic view of actually what you're selling. If you're selling your stuff, you know, for pennies on the dollar and everyone's buying, but you're not making any money, it may feel like you're doing a good thing because everyone's like at your door like, yeah, can you do this for me? But if you're not making any money and not making a profit and can't hire anyone because you're not getting paid enough, then you're really not getting anywhere. And from a business perspective, it's, you know, you want to make sure that your business is working for you. Uh, a lot of people are starting their businesses because they want it to work for them financially. So pricing is the first thing to, to review and understanding the health of your business. Are you charging enough? And not to say that you should overinflate because it's the opposite end of the spectrum as well. You can overprice um, for what you're offering, but you want to make sure that the price is in line with what you're offering and that you're delivering what you're promising to people. And if you are, you should price it accordingly. What would you say has been your biggest asset to your success? I'm pretty relentless, to be honest. I, I, once, <laughs> once I set my mind on something, I really am very relentless about it. And I, I, you know, when I decided to start my business, you know, I did, I did my homework and I took the necessary steps to do it. And I'm not afraid to take a chance, but, uh, you know, that's also because I have a great support system in terms of my family. My husband was there, you know, supporting me the entire time. And my parents, you know, my my circle of people, they were very supportive in me starting the business. But throughout the business, you know, every year there are challenges. And, you know, to stay in business, you really have to be pretty tenacious and unafraid to make adjustments. We had... Uh, 
I believe it was probably five years ago, we made some adjustments in the types of services that we offer. And it was it's actually one of our, it's on our press page. There was an article written in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I was interviewed about, they titled it Firing Your Clients. I didn't prefer that title because I, I didn't really fire my clients. But as a part of our pricing model review and how we were delivering service and our sweet spot, we phased out some of our projects because it was not in the best interest of the business and where we were trying to go. So those are some of the tough things that you have to do that are not, you know, fun to do that, you know, I'm pretty unafraid to do them and I'm really committed to the business. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes to grow it. But more importantly, you know, I've un- I understand how this business also supports my team. So I'm here to, to give, make sure they have the resources that they need as well to do their jobs. What are you really excited about at the moment? I'm excited about, we have this, our 2015 theme here is called developing, identifying and developing your superpower. And we're going to be hosting some workshops in-house and perhaps for the public that will help people determine what their gifts are. And it doesn't sound technology-based, and it's kind of not, but what I've learned is that, you know, to the degree that we can execute the work very well, I've learned that when people understand what their true gifts are, then they do an excellent, awesome job at, at, the, at what they do. And one of the things I've been privileged to understand is what my gifts are. And one of my gifts is developing systems. I've always been the type of person that could put anything in order. I can order chaos. I can, you know, walk in a room full of clutter and, and put it in order in a second. And so I bring that to every project that we have. Clients that have things that are a mess, we actually like those projects. So I'm trying to help my team and the people that we are networking with understand their gifts and talents because I think it's going to help us to deliver better products and also to serve our clients better. So we're so committed to this theme that we have this mural painted in our office of Spider-Man <laughs> because our theme this year is uh, software developers, scientists, and superheroes. So we're going to be tackling each one of those things throughout the year. So there's a project that I'm really excited about that we haven't officially launched it, but we will in January. Um, but you can check out our Twitter page and our website. There's some images of the, the mural that I'm referring to, but it's related to our upcoming theme. It's funny you mentioned that about sort of kind of identifying and realizing what your gifts are. It reminds me of Finder. Have you heard of that? Repeat that. What's, what's it called? Finder. It's by Tom Rath. No, I haven't. I haven't heard of it. It's a book slash online quiz. It's, uh, I think it's just strengthsfinder.com or something like okay. that. But basically you take the online quiz and then they identify out of 33 traits what your top five strengths are. Because the focus of it is to say, you know, focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. So, like, try to play to your strengths when it comes to looking for jobs and relationships and things of that nature. And so you take the test. They give you your five strengths and what each of those strengths are, how you can use them in business, things like that. I think there's also a an entrepreneurial kind of partner to it called Entrepreneurial Strengths Finder. Oh. It's something along the same lines. I probably took it about 10 years ago. And... It said that my my first or my top one was uh, strategy. Okay. And so when I knew that, I didn't, I mean, I I had my own business too. I didn't start until about three years later. But when I went and started my business, that was kind of the first thing on top of mind was I need to be able to, to communicate to my clients that I offer strategy. Like I'm not just a set of hands. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Partner. You know, I'm your strategic partner. I can work with you. You know, don't just 
kind of give me tasks like do this, do this, do this. I'm here to work with you and your business to meet your goals. So that's sort of what that reminded me of is kind of playing to your strengths and finding out. Yeah, it's out really the same. I wrote the, it down uh, because I'm going to I'm gonna make sure that I hand this off to uh, my team that they're developing this program. We're looking for resources to kind of help us through the process. But it's so important, not just in identifying your career, but, you know, in identifying your employer or hiring employees or clients even. Like when you know what your strengths are, you're in a much stronger position to even write a proposal for someone for offering them a service because you know you're very confident in what you can offer them. So I wanted to ensure that this year we can offer that to the people that work for us, that they are very confident in what their strengths are, uh, and they can bring that on every project, and it, it really helps develop a team. That's another thing I've learned is, you know, I have strengths and weaknesses, and from the areas that I'm, I have weaknesses in, I'm always looking for partners <laughs> and team members to come and supplement, you know, the areas that I'm just not strong in. And right. so it's really important. Everyone has a gift, and, you know, everyone can make a contribution. Where do you kind of see yourself in the next five years or so? I see my goal for for WebSmith Group is, you know, I, I see us as a, a a high-end software development company, and I definitely am growing the company, and my goal within five years is to have 20 to 25 really strong team members at WebSmith Group. I still see myself as the chief executive officer of WebSmith Group in five years, but I also see within that time grooming someone else to sort of take the baton <laughs> so that I can retire at some point from it. But I, I love the work. So in five years, I see one of our products is, is, is one of our flagship products and we're expanding it. And so five years, I actually see that product line expanding to at least three distinct packages that we'll be offering. So we have a ton of things in the work and I'm just really excited about growing our suite of products. We do a lot of custom programming services as well. Um, I see us uh, really growing in the area of expanding our software licensing division as well. Okay. If you weren't doing this, if you weren't the president and CEO of WebSmith Group, what do you think you would be doing? If I were not in the computer sciences, I would be probably a librarian, <laughs> to be honest. Really? My husband was convinced I was a librarian in a former life. I love to read and organizing books and putting them in categories. I, I would love to be like a librarian or someone that ran like a resource center would be perfect or a teacher. I could see myself as a teacher. Okay. How do you keep motivated and inspired? It sounds like you're really doing a lot and really focused on building the business. What keeps you going? Well, my children, you know, that they certainly, you know, keep me focused on what's important. And they're excited. And, you know, to the degree that the people that I work with in my family are very excited about what's happening, it, it kind of inspires me to keep going. Also, you know, within the past few years, I, I started running as a habit when I have time. And last year, I did a 5K, a 10K, and an 8K in one year. And okay. then exercise actually helped me stay very clear in terms of my thinking. So that really helped. I found, you know, I had before I hadn't been running. I hadn't run anywhere before. So it was definitely a challenging skill set to take up. But it was one that I really got some great benefit out of because being uh, active really helped me stay inspired and creative. Also, you know, the internet, you could have its challenges, but the internet is a wonderful place to find inspiration. And I follow, you know, I have podcasts that I follow, websites, so I'm all in Twitter. You always see something on Twitter that kind of, you know, piques your interest. Uh, so I'm always inspired mm -hmm. by what other people are doing as well. 
So let's say your your dream client contacted you with the project that you've always wanted to work on. What would that project be? That's interesting. What would it be? Um, you know what it would be? You know when you watch like CSI and like someone will walk in a room and they'll add, they'll give a name and say they're looking for a person and, and the person will like pull up all of this information like on the fly. Like the computers on CSI always seem to like be all-knowing. My dream project mm-hmm. would be to develop that system. The system where they're like pulling things up in the air, <laughs> pulling this data mm-hmm. together into like a profile. I'm always intrigued by the software that you see on TV. And it's interesting how it's evolved over time. I think there's a blog post somewhere that shows you how the uh, software on Law and Order evolved over an 11-year period. But on CSI particularly, they have this computer system that seems to know everything about everyone. It just kind of pulls your, your shopping habits and, you know, everything together into one profile. And I know that has data and privacy and issues, but I'm very, very excited about data. So it would be a big data project. It would be taking a lot of data and making sense out of it. It would be something along those lines. Well, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find you online? They can find me personally. I'm on Twitter at Kishaw, K-I-S-H-A-U. And you can find WebSmith Group at WebSmithGroup.com. We're also on Twitter at WebSmith Group and on Facebook at WebSmith Group. We're on Instagram at WebSmith Group. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you can find WebSmith Group and Kishaw, you know, under those usernames on, under most of the social network sites. But I'm mostly on Twitter. All right. Sounds good. Kishaw Rogers, thank you again so much for coming on the show for talking about your business, you know, letting us know how you grew it. I think a lot of what you said, particularly around pricing and value is just super important for entrepreneurs to know. And even for people that are thinking about getting into business, knowing sort of what are the things that they need to kind of look out for before they get started. I think that this is just some really, just really good information. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. And that's it for this week's show. Big thanks to Kashaw Rogers and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Kashaw's work and WebSmith Group through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Big thanks again to our sponsors for this week. Of course, Gretchen for sponsoring this week's episode, as well as our other sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. They've got great templates that work with any email client and their customer service is top notch. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code RESOLUTION at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators around the globe. Make sure you check out those 100 top items over there that I mentioned at the top of the show and claim that 10% discount. And if you're listening to this on a Monday, go to creativemarket.com. There's free goods that are waiting for you. Download those. They're only available on Mondays. So check that out. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by yours truly. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, They See Me Growing, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps get new listeners, and we'll read your review right here on the show. 
Also, I have to give a really special shout out to Will Lucas and the Of 10 Podcast. If you haven't listened to that, please go check that out, of10podcast.com. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level to show your ongoing support. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.